please turn your Bibles with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is our text this morning. We're going to focus specifically on verse 11 to verse 14. We are beginning a brand new series this morning titled, What If? Everybody say, What If? Look at your neighbor and say, What If? Okay, look at your neighbor, other neighbor and say, What if what? <laughs> I'll answer that question for you. All right. All right. So I've titled this series, What If? It's a three-part series. It's going to take us through the end of the month. And, and the idea with this series is to, to answer the question, what would it be like if we as followers of Jesus Christ were truly committed, not that I'm saying that we're not committed, but that we're willing to give of ourselves fully and totally to the pursuit of knowing Christ and being like Christ. This is a series that the Lord put on my heart several weeks ago as I was driving into the church one morning and as I was just just listening to scriptures being read in the car. And and I began to, I felt like the Holy Spirit was asking me, imagine what what your walk with me would be like if you were if you were fully sold out if you were if you were fully committed if you you were fully embracing of my will if you weren't sometimes resistant to my will or 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 opposed to what I want you to do in what I want to do in your life and and as I began to ponder on 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 this series there were three areas that we're going to deal with starting today over the next two weeks as well questions that I want to challenge you with to help you consider what the what ifs in your own life, the what ifs as it comes to as it pertains to your uh, relationship with Jesus. And today I want to deal with the, the question: What if we give no allowance for sin? What if, as followers of Jesus Christ, we give no allowance for sin in our lives? Um, I was reminded of a of a story um, that I came across. It's not necessarily a story as much as it was a description of of life in the medieval days. I always tell folks, um, you know, I would have loved to experience life in, you know, in the, you know, when it was like 100 BC or, you know, 200 BC. But that, but one thing I would not want to face is to actually have to go into into a war where you're having to use swords and 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 spears and get shot with arrows. I mean, to me, that's a painful way to die, right? So I, you know, yeah, I figured if I'm if I'm gonna go to the warfare, I'd rather take a bullet from afar, you know, than than for somebody to come in and just start stabbing me with a sword over and over and over again until I'm dead. I mean, it's just a horrible way to die. But you know, as I was, but but one of the things that I grew up, you know, loving was history. My dad is a history buff. I grew up being a history buff. I would read all kinds of books about history. And one of the things I learned about the Romans, and and here's the thing, history tells us that the Romans, when it came to warfare, were were probably one of the most brutal groups of groups of, um, of um, soldiers around. I mean, they, they, they invented ways to make their, their opponents suffer. I mean, it, it was almost as if they derived pleasure out of their opponents suffering. And in one particular case, I learned that they had a very, very shocking way of executing the condemned. So, of course, we know that the Romans were the ones who, um, who basically popularized the practice of crucifixion. All right, and it wasn't meant to be some glamorous experience where you just hung on the cross and eventually you died at some point. No, it was meant to be a painful, um, torturous kind of death. And you know, sadly, there are still some cultures in our world today that practice this as a form of execution. But the Romans were the ones who really made this mainstream, and and it was not just crucifixion. Apparently, I learned that there was another form of, of execution that they would uh, typically employ, and it was one in which they would compel a prisoner to be joined face to face with a dead body. And this person would carry this corpse around until it was told that the horrible stench from the lifeless body would itself take the life of the person who was carrying this body around. 
And I started thinking, how is that even possible? I mean, how can a person simply carrying around a corpse suddenly die because of the stench? There's a, there's a well-known Roman author named Virgil who, who writes, uh, uh, who describes this cruel form of punishment. I want you to hear how he puts it, and it's really, it's almost poetic the way he says it. He says, and I quote, the living and the dead at his command were coupled face to face and hand in hand till choked with stench. That's what did it. Till choked with stench in loathed embraces tied, the lingering wretches pined away and they died. So there was this idea that when you, when you shackle a person to a dead body and literally they're, 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 they're face to face with this, this body and, and they're in the elements, they're out in the open and this body is decaying right before them and they cannot separate themselves from this, this lifeless body that, that, that they're attached to, that eventually the stench from that, that, that body overwhelms the individual who's carrying them so that they end up dying themselves. And I thought, wow, you know, talk about the Romans finding another way to, to, to execute people. And, 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 but but as, I, as, I, as, I, as I thought about this, this punishment, it reminded me of, of, in a spiritual sense, what it is like when, as believers, we fail to recognize that, that the life that you and I are called to in Christ is a life that God calls us to, where we not only pursue Christ, but we are separating ourselves from the old life from which he has saved us from. In, the, in, the, in, the, in Romans chapter 6, you're going to see beginning in verse 1, Paul makes this case that when you and I come to faith in Christ, that we are called to be separated from a life of sin. That we're not to follow Jesus and then hold on to um, you know, a lifestyle or habits or choices that, that contradict or that violate God's will for our lives. Jesus didn't, save, didn't, Jesus didn't die on the cross simply to save us from hell. He didn't die on the cross simply to, to provide a, 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 a place in us for heaven so that when we die, we, we can go to heaven as opposed to going to hell. Jesus died to change our lives. He died to help us walk in newness of life. And while we are still in this life, we are meant to reflect this new relationship we found in Christ and this change that we've experienced because we know Christ. And so um, in, in, in asking the question, what if we gave no allowance for sin, the idea is that we are to recognize, friends, that if we are to truly, truly walk with the Lord and to become more like Christ, that there must be involved in our lives, in our daily walk, a willful rejection of sin as an evidence of the freedom that you and I have found from the power of sin and the new life we have in Christ. You cannot say that you are a follower of Jesus Christ if you are living in intentional, habitual sin. You cannot say that you are truly committed to Christ if you are not living according to his commands. I love the scripture that, that Precious read this morning during prayer where, where the word says that those who are with Christ, those who are in Christ, that there are certain choices, certain lifestyles and decisions that we make that are reflective of our walk with Christ. And, and so the, the, the things that are reflective of a life of sin, a life lived in worldliness, should not be found in those who are believers. Now, am I suggesting this morning that we're meant to be perfect? No. But there has to be a, a commitment on our part that we are not going to allow sin to have any place in our lives. So let's read this morning, beginning with verse 11 to verse 14, because that's going to be the focus of our, of our talk this morning. In verse 11, Paul begins by saying, in the same way, count yourselves dead. Everybody say dead. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as a result of this, Paul says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. 
Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, Paul says, but under grace. So in these four verses we just read, Paul basically spells out for the church, and he spells out for you and I today, everyone that calls on the name of the Lord and, 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 and claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, he says that before we came to faith in Christ, we were slaves of sin. We were, we, you know, we, we lived for sin. Our, 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 our sinful tendencies, sinful desires, our appetites is what we lived for, right? It, it, it's, how, it, it, it's what influenced our choices, our decisions, our lifestyle. But when we came to faith in Christ, we recognized that we no longer had to say yes to sin anymore, right? That, that just because sin comes calling or comes knocking at our door does not mean we have to answer the door, right? Or, or say yes to sin in our lives, that we can say no. But see, here's the thing. The power to say no against sin was something that we didn't have on our own. Because here's the thing. If you and I could say no to sin, successfully say no to sin, then Jesus would not have needed to come and die. But the reason he came to die was so that he would break the power of sin over our lives because we could not deal with sin on our own. No amount of good that you and I can do can ever, ever fully, fully resolve this issue with, of, of sin that we all have. And so when Jesus came and he gave his life, he did so that he might break the power of sin over our lives. So Paul says that knowing what Jesus did to save you and I from sin and knowing that he has called us to a life that is set apart from sin, but set apart to God, for God, for his glory, then you and I have to make a decision as his followers to be intentional. Everybody say intentional. You have to be intentional about choosing to follow Christ every single day. And what do I mean by that? I mean the daily decisions that we are facing, that we're make, we making, do they reflect the, uh, a, a, a recognition of the will of Christ, the, the will of God, and, and, a, and a commitment to follow his instruction in our lives. Because, friends, it's not enough for us to say we're followers of Christ. If we're not living like it, friends, then we really are not. And there are many who say they're Christians because they are religious. They go to church. They, you know, they pray in Jesus' name over their food when it's time to eat. You know, they do religious things, but that's the extent of it. And God is so much more interested than just outward religious appearance. He wants our hearts. He wants our lives. He wants change. He wants transformation. How else can the world see that following Jesus is worth it except they see changed lives? I mean, what, what incentive is there for the world to turn to faith in Christ if those who claim to follow Christ are living the same way as those who do not claim to follow Jesus? There is meant to be a difference, a change in our lives that the world sees and the world is drawn to. After all, that's how I came to know Christ. I grew up going to church. I grew up saying I was a Christian, but I was not, I was not a follower of Jesus. And, and it, was, it, was, it, was the, it was the example of peers who didn't just talk the talk, but they walked it, that spoke volumes to me. And I said, you know what? I don't want to play games. I truly want to know the Lord, and I want to know the transformation that he can bring about in my life. And obviously, you know, this life that he wants me to live, I can't live it on my own, and I certainly can't live it simply because I'm being religious. I need him to change my life. And that's when I embrace Christ as Savior and Lord. And there are many who are making that same decision today. But here's the thing. Oftentimes along the way, we give our hearts to Christ. And in our minds, we think of it as just one experience or one moment in time. And we fail to realize that that decision was meant to be the beginning of a lifelong, daily decision to follow him, to submit to him, to yield our lives to him. 
And so this morning we see in the verses we read, Paul describes three ways that we actively reject sin in our lives. The first one he says in verse 12 is that, that we are to reject anything that contradicts the will of God in our lives. Paul says essentially that when we, when we let sin reign, we will, do, we, will do, we, we will fulfill evil desires. Here's the thing, friends. Sin will never attract you to doing what is right or pleasing to God. Sin will always draw you and I to do what is opposite of what God's will is for our lives. So when we, when we determine that we're not going to allow sin to rule in our hearts, we're in a sense, a sense saying that everything that contradicts the will of God for my life, the way of God for my life, the plan of God for my life, I choose to reject that today. The second thing Paul says is we exchange sinful behavior for that which pleases God in verse 13. He talks about the fact that rather than offering ourselves as instruments of wickedness to do evil things, that we're instead to offer ourselves as instruments of righteousness to do the will of God, to do what pleases God. So in essence, when we become Christians, we're exchanging behavior that it was reflective of that old life before we came to know Jesus. And now we're intentionally embracing behavior that is reflective of the new life in Christ. Here's the thing, friends. It is a work in progress. You know, I've heard some testimonies of some people that will say that, man, when I gave my faith to Christ, when I give it, you know, appetite for certain things just instantly disappeared. And then for others, it was a, it was a process. And I'm not, I'm not comparing one to the other to say, well, this is better or this is better. Here's the thing. God is, you know, God the Holy Spirit is the one who is working behind the scenes to, to, to bring transformation to our lives. And, and whether, 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 whether God has delivered you instantly of certain things or it's a process, the, the goal is, are we submissive to him? Are we yielding to him and allowing him to take us through this process of helping us become less and less like the world and more and more like Jesus? So Paul says that we are to exchange sinful behavior for that which pleases God. And then, of course, the third thing in verse 14, he says, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to inform and direct our conduct. When Paul says to you and I that sin should no longer be our master, what he's saying is you determine, you make up your mind that sin will no longer be your master. But here's the thing. The Bible says we have to serve something or we have to serve someone. And, 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 and the Bible paints this picture for us that it's either we are serving sin or we're serving God, but we are going to be serving someone. There's no, there's no point in our lives where we, are, where we are not serving anyone. Even when we say, yeah, well, I'm serving myself. No, you're serving yourself, then you're not serving God. <laughs> you're serving yourself, you're not serving God. Right? So the idea is that, is that we decide who is, in, who is master. We decide who sits on the throne of our hearts. We decide who calls the shots. We decide who has the final say when it comes to how we live. And so if we are to truly follow in the example of Christ, if we are to truly pursue Christ's likeness, then here's the thing, the Holy Spirit has to be in charge of this process of helping us to walk under his authority and helping us to walk under his leadership. And how does he do that? By informing our conduct, by guiding our instruct, our direction. This is why Jesus said to the disciples, when I go and the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He said the Holy, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will, 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 will bring to bear on our hearts the truth about sin, but the Holy Spirit will also bring to bear on our hearts the truth about godliness and righteousness. So here's the thing, friends. You and I have the Holy Spirit as this constant guide and companion in our lives every single day. And he's always standing by to provide direction, to provide guidance. He does not want to leave us on our own to figure it out. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that God does not leave us by ourselves to fend for ourselves. So when we consider these three things that Paul says we must do if we are to be intentional about not allowing sin to have room in our lives, then where does the what if come in? The what if is, is in a sense to paint a picture in our minds of what it could be like. 
if we choose to do these three things that Paul talks about. And there are, things, there, there are several things I want to share with you this morning that I, I hope will really encourage you and motivate you to embrace God's plan for your life today. Number one, if we give no allowance for sin or if we intentionally make no room for sin in our lives, here's one of the things that will happen, friends. The Bible says we will gain lasting peace rather than have to settle for short-lived pleasure. Here's what Satan does. Satan wants people to, to, to think that, 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 you know, that, that there is gain in something that is short-lived. And the reality is, is that there is no gain in what is short-lived. I remember when I was growing up, um, you know, whenever you're sick, right, your parents want to give you uh, medicine. Nobody, nobody wants to take medicine. And one of the things I hated taking growing up was cough medicine. You know, my mom would always say to me, I know it tastes nice now, but it's going to make a difference in your body later. And I was like, no, I don't care. I don't want to deal with that right now because anyway, the issue was my mind was focused on short-term pleasure. And the fact of the matter is cough medicine did not provide short-term pleasure in that moment, right? It tasted nasty. It made me want to gag, and I didn't want to have to go through that. And so because I was focused on what, was, what, what, what I could avoid in the short term, I failed to realize what I would gain in the long term because I took that medicine. And in the same way, spiritually, sometimes the enemy convinces you and I that, that embracing the life of sin will provide some kind of gain. But here's the thing, friends, what he does not tell us is that it doesn't last. It is fleeting. And, 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 and you know, when, 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 you, when you absorb or you, you, you follow the, the, the enemy's lead and you do what he asks you to do, yes, you may gain some, some pleasure in that moment, but friends, it will not last. But then two, friends, number two, the aftertaste will be bad. The aftertaste that will be left in your mouth will be so bad. Why? Because, because sin always brings death. Sin, sin robs, sin, sin destroys, sin decays. There is nothing that is lasting in a positive way about sin. And so when we choose to give no allowance for sin in our lives, when we are tempted and, and we recognize that, you know what, the short-term pleasure that I may gain from, this, from giving into this, this sin is, 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 is nothing compared to the long-lasting peace that I'm going to get because I abstain from this, then friends, listen, you will have experienced the freedom over sin that Christ talks about. I love what Leviticus chapter 26, verse 3 to verse 6 says. This is God speaking to the people of Israel. And he's telling them, as you're getting ready to step into the promised land and the place that I promised you, you're going to have opportunities to do things other than what I'm asking you to do. You're going to have opportunities to go the way of your neighbors, to, to embrace the practices of, your, of, your, of, of those around you who do not know me or serve me. But here's what God said to them will happen if they followed him. If they resisted the temptation to allow sin to have a place in their hearts so that they turn against God. Paul, God said in verse 3, If you follow my decrees and you are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season. And the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest. Let me stop there for a second and explain what that means. So typically there are seasons, right, between planting, harvesting, and then you have to go through a period of allowing the ground to kind of, kind of get back its, 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 uh, its, um, its strength, for lack of a better word, in, in time for planting season again. God is saying to them, you don't even have to worry about giving the ground time to, 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 to recuperate because while you are still harvesting, the ground is ready for new seed. And God is basically saying to them, it is continual. 
You're, you're going to go through continual blessing. You're going to go through continual favor. You're going to go through con continual um, enlargement. God says your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting. And you will eat all the food you want, and you will live in safety in your land. And God says in verse 6, I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. What is God saying? God is saying, if you choose me, you will have peace the world cannot give you. You will have comfort the world cannot give you. You will have a sense of assurance that the world cannot give you. It is, is, is the same as what Jesus said. In this world, we're going to have trouble. But he says, take heart. Why? Because he's overcome this world for us. We can face hardship. We can face difficulties. We can face challenges. Why? Because we know God's got this. God's going to take care of us. We're not going to be overcome by what we're going through. God says if we follow him, he will take care of us. And, you know, I, I still wanted to this day, if Eve had not said to, if, if Eve had said to Satan, no, I'm not biting that, that, I'm not eating that fruit. If Adam had said, I'm not eating that fruit. What, how different would our world be today? How different would our lives be today? We can only imagine what, could, what, what it could have been like. But here's the thing. We can't do anything about the past, friends. But what we can do about it is, is our lives going forward. And God is saying to you and I, what if you gave yourself fully and completely to me? You obeyed me. You did not allow room for sin in your life. I will give you lasting peace so you don't have to settle for short-lived pleasure. Here's the other thing that's a benefit. We will experience the joy of unhindered fellowship with God. Here's the thing, friends. Sin breaks fellowship with God. The Bible says light and darkness cannot coexist. We're in this room. We turn on the lights. We see around us. We don't have to worry about tripping or running into something, but the moment the lights get turned out, yes, there's an extra sense of caution and a sense of urgency. You want, you're, you're, you're very very careful about where you're going and where you're stepping because you don't want to hit something. You want to run into, and run into somebody else. You know, light and darkness cannot coexist. When the light, flips, light, gets, light switch gets flipped on, the darkness has to leave, right? And when that light switch gets flipped on, I mean flipped off, then, then the darkness takes over, but they cannot coexist in the same place. And here's the thing, if you and I are to truly be like Christ, truly walk with Christ, then we have to understand that unless we are willing to give up sin in our lives, then that fellowship with God that, that he has invited you and I into will, be, will, 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 not, be, will not be able to, to, to move forward. Why? Because sin is in the mix. I love what 1 John chapter 1 verse 6 says. The Lord says, if we claim we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, he says we lie and we do not have and we do not live out the truth. If we claim that we are for him, but then we're not living consistent with what he has commanded, then we are lying. He's not the one that's inconsistent. We are. And how many times have we, even though we profess faith in Christ, we profess to know the Lord, but then we walk in habitual sin. We walk in intentional sin. We choose deliberately to do what we know is not pleasing to God. And yet we claim that we have fellowship with him. Light and darkness cannot coexist. God is saying, choose me. And if we choose sin, we're saying, God, I reject you. But we are choosing someone. If we want unhindered fellowship with the Lord, and the joy that comes with knowing that I'm, I'm in fellowship with God, I'm right with God, there's nothing standing between God and me. Friends, we must reject sin. Number three, we must, a benefit of, of, of not giving room for sin is that we are, our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's leadership and, and his guidance grows. The more, the more we, we walk in obedience to God, the more sensitive we become to the Spirit of the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit as He's speaking direction 
to our lives. I'll tell you this, that by the same token, the more we walk in sin, the more the voice of the Holy Spirit is dulled in our minds. And, we, and the less we recognize when he's speaking to us. Because the more we walk in sin, this is our flesh's natural inclination. We look for excuses to continue in sin. We look for, we look for, we look for ways to justify our sin. And all the while the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. He's calling us to order. He's cautioning us. But the further, further we go into our sin, deliberately giving ourselves to it, the, 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 the more his voice becomes silent in our lives. Not that he stops speaking, but we don't hear him anymore because we're allowing the, the voices that are opposed to God's will in our lives to have our attention. If we want to be intentional about, about not giving room for sin, then we need to realize that we have to choose in doing so. When we choose to, to not give room for sin, that our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's leadership begins to grow. We begin to discern when he's speaking to us. We recognize what is the will of God versus what is, what is our will or what, is, what, what the flesh simply wants. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I was doing my Bible study yesterday and I was on that scripture particularly. And I was thinking, how are some of the ways that we grieve the Holy Spirit? And, and there were several that came to mind. When we allow delusion in the sense of where we are not willing to face the reality, the truth about ourselves or about our environment or about our circumstance, then we, we quench the Holy Spirit. When we allow deception in our lives, um, when, we, when, we, when we are walking in disobedience, we, we, these are ways that we quench the Holy Spirit. And, and that, that sense of quenching the Holy Spirit is, is this picture of, is, is essentially you're saying, uh, when the Holy Spirit is speaking, you're basically saying, Holy Spirit, be quiet. I'm not interested in what you have to say because I want to do this instead. And, and, and the more we do that, again, understand that the more we grow desensitized to his leadership and his guidance, but the more we walk in obedience to him, the more that sensitivity grows. God's desire is that as we are walking in relationship with him, that we are growing more and more sensitive to him. Part of being a Christian, friends, is about learning to be dependent on him. I told you this before, that being a Christian is not about, how you, it's not about trying to prove that, you can, that you're a great Christian. That's not God. God's not asking you to prove that you're a great Christian. What he's asking you to do is be submitted to him. And as we are walking with him, the longer we walk with him, the more we must be submitted to him. The more we must be yielding to his leadership. And that comes by a determination to not allow sin. And here's the last point and we'll close. We, a benefit of, of not giving room for sin in our lives is that we enjoy a closer walk and a more effective witness for Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, this is what Peter says. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and as exiles to abstain. Everybody say abstain. That word abstain means you separate yourself from. You do not indulge in, you do not participate in, you do not involve yourself, engage yourself. And he says abstain from sinful desires. These desires, Peter tells us, wage war against our soul. The same desires that the enemy tells us that if we give in to these desires that we're going to get some kind of pleasure from them. Paul, Peter says that these desires wage war against our souls. Why? Because they are not in keeping with God's will for our lives. They have no benefit to us as far as eternity is concerned. And in verse 12 he goes on to say, Live such good lives among the pagans that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter is saying that, that you know what, even, even in your commitment to live for Christ, your, 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 your steadfastness for Christ is going to rub people the wrong way. But here's the thing, even if they want to accuse you, 
when they look at the substance of your life, how you live, the decisions you make, the choices you make, that, that they, they really have nothing to stand on. Because, because for them, it, it would simply be accusing or going against what is right. And, and how many people are willing to acknowledge that, 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 that they're, how many people are willing to go against what is obviously right? Here's the thing, friends. When the world looks at us, do they see us conforming to their, their pattern or do they see us conforming to Christ's? And, and, and for every one of us, there's a decision that, is, that we're faced with in, in determining, am I going to allow sin in my life? Because, again, do I want to hurt my witness for Christ? Do I want to hurt my relationship with Christ? When we choose to abstain from sin, when we choose to reject sin in our lives, friends, we are going to enjoy a closer walk with the Lord and we will have a more effective witness for Christ. Friends, the world is not going not gonna to listen to what you say as much as they're going to watch what you do. They're looking at your life. They want to see the transformation that we say that Jesus has made in us. How does that look when it comes to how we talk? How does that look in the attitudes we express? How does that look in how we treat others? How does that look in, our, in, our, in, the, in the degree of our devotion to Christ and our willingness to live for him and to serve him faithfully? That's what they're looking for. We can, we can, we can say all the nice things that we, that we know to say and, and yet none of those things will matter if our lifestyle is not consistent with what we profess. And I really believe, friends, that what hurts our Christian witness is when we're not living for Christ, when we're not committed to him, when we're not sold out to him, and God is calling us to be sold out to him. What if, what if you and I were willing to obey God? What if we're willing to, to, to deny ourselves, to deny our will, our wants, the way that we like things to go and say, God, not my will, but your will be done. That God, in this circumstance, I'm going to do what you want me to do and I'm going to trust you for the outcome. What if we were willing to do that? How, how different would our, our lives be? How different would our world be? How different would our, our circle of influence be? Our jobs, our schools. How different would society be when believers are committed to walking committed to God and saying, I will not give allowance for sin in my life. And what does that mean? That when you're faced with a decision or choice, that your first inclination is to say, God, what is it that you want me to do in this situation? And that when, God, when the Holy Spirit shows you what he wants you to do, that you, you do it, not worried about the outcome, not even worried about what people are going to say, what people are going to do, but you do it because you know that's what God wants you to do. And you, and you want to honor him. What, what, what would happen if you and I were willing to do that? How much, how much more impactful would our witness be for Christ if we're that committed to him? Again, a willful rejection of sin is the evidence of our freedom from the power of sin and the new life that you and I have experienced in Christ. And if we are to truly reject sin, friends, it's going to involve several things. Number one, it's going to involve conviction. Conviction simply says, I recognize what is right versus what is wrong. And I believe that this is right. I believe that what God says is right is right because God said it. It's not about what I feel or what I think or what culture says because God said it. I believe it. I'm not going to question it. That's conviction. But it's not only conviction, Fred, but conviction that leads to contrition. What is contrition? Contrition is remorse. When we recognize the truth about what God says regarding sin and about sinfulness in our own lives and, and the areas of our lives where we are falling short of God's standard, that we're not making excuses, we're not justifying, we're not saying, well, I'm just a human. No, we're saying, God, I am wrong. This should not be in my life because it does not honor you. And I'm remorseful. I, I want it gone from my life. And then the next step is we are committed. That we say, God, the life you want me to live, I cannot live by myself. 
Only you can make that happen. And I'm committed to you. I'm going to, I'm going to surrender everything to you. I'm going to submit my will, my life, my all to you so that I can live a life that brings glory to you. I want to share with you a quick illustration that I, I, I hope would drive this point, point home in your hearts. Um, there was a 4th century theologian named St. Augustine. Um, he, another name that he's known by is Augustine of, of Hippo. In his early days of his struggle toward finding the truth, um, Augustine said that he found himself praying a very simple prayer, and this was it. He said, Lord, save me from my sins, but not quite yet. He said eventually he came back and he changed that prayer to now praying, Lord, save me from all my sins except one. He walked away, came back, and he prayed a different prayer. And this, was, this is how he prayed. He said, Lord, save me from all my sins and save me now. Here was a man who went from, Lord, save me, but not just yet, to save me from all my sins, but leave this one sin alone. So now, God, save me from all my sins, and I need you to deliver me fully now. Which do you think is a reflection of the heart of God? It's obvious, friend. God is saying that when we cry out to him to save us, that we are to say, God, save me now. Save me from everything and anything that does not represent your will for my life. And so, of course, reflecting on the necessity of rejecting sin completely, I want you to hear what he writes. This is a very simple quote. He says, there is no joy and strength, and for that matter, no peace, like that which visits the soul which has taken an unconquerable resolve against that which is evil. He says, if you and I want to experience joy, strength, peace that God gives us, it will only happen if we resolve to not embrace sin in our lives. That the sin that the Holy Spirit reveals to us, that we need to repent of, that we're not justifying, we're not excusing, we're not rationalizing, we're saying, God, forgive me, save me now. This is what I love about David, because the Bible says he was a man after God's heart. This is why he's my greatest character outside of Jesus in the scriptures. Because as, 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 as many great things as he's remembered for, he made some very bad, bad choices. That he, he, he doesn't blame anybody else. He doesn't, wanna, he doesn't say, well, it's so-and-so's reason fault that I, I did what I did. No, David was a man who knew how to take ownership of his sin against God. And when he was confronted with his sin about, again, with, with Bathsheba, when they, when they had, when they had um, um, sexual relations out of wedlock, he, when, he, when he had relations with a woman that was not his wife, and, and the Bible says that the prophet Nathan confronted David in his sin, the Bible says that David didn't sit there arguing with the prophet, saying, how dare you, I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. Or, or, or why, why are you coming against me now when there are others that are doing the same, if not worse? The Bible says that David said, cried out to God. He said, create in me a clean heart. And he said, renew a right spirit within me. He prayed, cast not, he said, don't, don't take your spirit from me, right? But what? Restore. Everybody say restore. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. David's prayer was, God, I am wrong. Everything you revealed to me that, that is sin in my life, I can't, the only thing I can say to you is, God, I am wrong. And, and I take ownership of what I've done. But I'm also grateful that you extended grace to me. And, and, and I know that while I'm still alive, that, that there's still room for, there's opportunity for grace. And God, right now I embrace it. I'm not going to wait till tomorrow. I'm not going to wait till when I'm much older or when I have no use for that, that sinful habit in my life. I'm going I'm to resolve it now because it does not belong in my life now. 
And the reason it doesn't belong in your life, friend, is because you belong to Jesus. And when you belong to him, anything that does not represent him does not belong in you. And when the Holy Spirit brings to your attention what is in you that is not what God wants for you, friends, don't excuse it, don't justify it, don't rationalize it, reject it. Turn your back to it. Cry out to God for mercy. He will have mercy. But more importantly, friends, he will deliver. He wants us to walk in freedom, friends. Isn't that why the scripture says, he whom the son sets free is free indeed? God wants you and I to walk in freedom. Again, it's not perfection. That's not what we're talking about. Freedom. Freedom that comes from knowing that, that, that I've, I've, I've surrendered my flaws, my faults, my weaknesses to God, and God has helped me to overcome them in his strength and in his power. And that I walk in peace knowing that, that there's nothing that is hindering my walk with Christ. Does it mean we're not going to fall, we're not going to stumble? Yes, we will fall, we will stumble. But again, we recognize that it's not about the falling, it's about getting back up and saying, Jesus, let's keep going. And the grace of God is available to you and I this morning. And especially if you are here today and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Friend, understand me this morning. I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm not talking about being religious. I'm talking about a relationship where you know someone. And because you know that person, knowing that person changes who you are. It changes how you live. It changes how you think. It changes how you approach life, how you view life, how you look for, how you look for, I mean, your outlook on life. It changes what, what you consider that, that is valuable and what is not valuable. And it gives you a new perspective on eternity. But here's the thing. That experience cannot happen if you are not in Christ. You need to know Jesus. And it starts with recognizing that you're a sinner, that you sin against God, and that every time you express these sinful desires and tendencies and, and attitudes in your actions that you are offending God. You're offending God and that, and, that, and that you don't want to remain in that state of offense because you recognize that Jesus died on the cross to, to bring about forgiveness from sin. And, and you, you not only are asking to forgive, but now you're asking, give me power to walk in freedom and to walk in unity of life. Friend, that's what the world needs to see. So what the world needs to see because that's what's going to change the world when they see that we are committed to living for Jesus. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me this morning as we pray. And again, as I said, if you're here and you are, are honest in saying, Pastor John, I don't have a relationship with Christ and I need the Lord to change my life. There are areas of my life that I'm not living for God and I want to be totally sold out to him. Maybe you're a believer, but yeah, you are honest enough in admitting that there are some areas of your life where you need to surrender to the Lord where you're not living in God's will, but you recognize God's will. The Holy Spirit has told you what God's will is. It's just he's waiting for you to take that step of obedience to say, God, here I am. Change me. Friend, I have to tell you, it's a prayer I pray every single day. Holy Spirit, search my heart. And can I tell you that there are many times where he'll reveal things that I don't like, I don't want to see, I'm not happy about. But the question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to surrender and allow God to change you? If that's you this morning, realize that grace is available to you today. God says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. He will forgive us and he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that can be your experience today. Whether you've been walking with the Lord 50 years and you just, you're just about to make a decision to embrace Christ as Savior of your life. I want to lead us in prayer this morning. And as I do so, if, if, it, is your, if it is your intent this morning to truly be sold out to God, then pray along with me. And let's together make a commitment to follow Jesus and to serve him faithfully all the days of our lives. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for the opportunity that we have once again to take inventory, God, of our own hearts, our own lives. 
Not because we search our own selves or examine our own selves, but because we allow the Holy Spirit to examine us. We allow the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives, to point out those areas of our lives where we are falling short of your standard, Father God, falling short of your will for our lives, where we allow, we've, we've, we've called with sin, we've embraced sin, we've given sin allowance in our lives, and yet the Bible makes it clear that because we are in Christ, we are meant to be new, we are meant to be changed, we're meant to be transformed. The old is meant to be dead, passed away, Father, and that all things become new because we are in Christ, God. We are no longer the property of sin. We are now sons and daughters of God. And God, I pray that you help every one of us here today to truly walk in newness of life. That God, when we are made aware of an area of a shortcoming in our life, God, help us, Lord, to run to you, God. And to cry out to you as St. Augustine did, God, save me now. Save me now. Deliver me now. Break this habit now. Break this stronghold now. I want to be free. I want to give room for sin in my life. God, thank you because that's your desire today, Lord. And, and I know that as, as your people, God, are crying out to you, even in the quietness of their own hearts, God, that you are ministering right now, that you're responding to your children, that, God, you're bringing, Father God, truth to bear, and that truth, Father God, is bringing us to the cross where we find freedom. God, I thank you for what you're doing right now. And, Lord, for the one who may be here, God, who does not know Jesus, the Savior, and Lord, God, thank you that you have brought them to this crossroad where they recognize, Lord, if I'm going to follow you, it's all or nothing. Jesus said, if anyone come after me, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. And that person today, God, is, is making that decision. God, thank you for bringing them to that place of decision. And thank you for the transformation that, Lord, you will bring about, Father God, because they cry to you in faith, asking God that you would change their lives. God, thank you for changing their lives. And God, help us, Lord, every one of us here today, every single day, Help us to truly walk as people who are dead to sin. Lord, when the, when the world looks at us, Lord, they don't see perfection, God, for we don't have the capacity to be perfect. But what they do see are people who are truly committed to living for Jesus. And God, may our witness, Father God, help others to come to know Christ as well. Again, God, thank you for the opportunity that we've had to be challenged and to dream, to dream of what the possibilities could be because we're fully sold out to you. But we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. I want to.